Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. My guest this week became internet famous using only her face to lip sync Donald Trump's most absurd moments. Now, with her new audiobook, she is finally sharing her real voice with the world. Early one day in the mid-2000s, when I was in my late 20s, I was walking onto the subway. I was completely lost in thought, probably coming up with some brilliant idea for the future of the internet, something I was going to call chat snap. When out of nowhere, this guy gets in my face and yells, smile, beautiful. I was startled and annoyed, and I scowled and rolled my eyes, because I'd already been told to smile by two other guys that day and several hundred other people in my lifetime. And I was sick of it. And I guess he saw me roll my eyes, because the next thing I know, he's yelling, hey, you should appreciate the attention because one day you're going to be old and no one's even going to look at you. Which gave me a great movie idea. It's Castaway, but instead of Tom Hanks, it's a female lead, and instead of disappearing after a plane crash, she disappears after she turns 50. She's still walking around amongst everyone, but no one even sees her. It was a fun way to start my day, whatever I was doing at the time. I have a bad memory. Except when it comes to all the men who've told me to smile. I remember all of them. Including you, Dale Carnegie. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was an excerpt from Let's Catch Up Soon, How I Won Friends and Influenced People Against My Will, the new Audible original book from the one and only Sarah Cooper. If you're a loyal listener of this podcast, you may know that this is actually Sarah's second time as a guest. I first spoke to her on Trump's very last day in office back in January 2021, when she was still riding the wave of viral success that came with her TikTok lip syncs of the former president. So much has happened in her life and career since then, and a lot of it is chronicled in Let's Catch Up Soon, which is sort of like a memoir Trojan horsed into a self-help book. And right before we taped this episode, news broke that she will be co-starring in her comedy hero Jerry Seinfeld's upcoming movie about the origin of the Pop-Tart, alongside other superstars like Amy Schumer, Melissa McCarthy, Jim Gaffigan, and more. She's come a long way since the early days of the pandemic when she was stuck in her New York apartment making Trump videos and driving herself insane. It was such a pleasure to have Sarah back on the podcast, and I think you are really going to enjoy this conversation. So here's me with Sarah Cooper. It's great to see you. Um, are you still in New York, or where where are you these days? 
Um, yeah, I still live in New York, but I'm in LA now. I've been in this hotel room for about over a month now. <laughs> really? I've never lived oh in a hotel God. this long. <laughs> yeah. What is, what's that about? Why are you, uh, why are you in a hotel for a month? I'm filming Unfrosted, Jerry oh, Seinfeld. Yeah. Oh my God. It's actually happening now. It's It's been happening. <laughs> oh wow. I just yeah, haven't been it, able to tell anybody. It just got announced. So I didn't know if it's like, yeah. you know, happening later, but that's so exciting. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that. Um, cause that was insane news that, that came through that you're in Jerry Seinfeld's Pop-Tart movie, which is not something that I thought was a real thing when it was first announced, but apparently well, it is. Every time I tell someone about it, they um, they ask me if it's animated. Yeah, because they it think seems like it would be. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it wouldn't be real people in it. <laughs> but there's so many real people in it, and all the real people are just like amazing. Yeah, uh, and I know you're a big yeah. Seinfeld fan, so it must have been a big deal to uh, to get that call. Huge. I mean, I can't even describe the level of excitement <laughs> that I have about this project. And yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been, I've watched every episode like 18 times, like everybody else. Is that and, what you've been doing in your hotel room this whole time? Um, a lot of that, you know, yeah. <laughs> also been, uh, listening to, uh, this car podcast that he does. He's very into Porsches, which I didn't realize. I mean, I always knew like cars and comedians, I guess I just thought, you know, it was kind of, just a thing to do. I didn't yeah. realize the level. He's, he's really into it. <laughs> he's really, really, really into it. And, you know, getting like an appreciation for that. But it's mainly been um, just such a great, you know, so cliche, but it's like such a learning experience really for me because I've never really been on a set like this before. And it's just been a blast, but also like super intimidating because I'm working with like people who have like... Conquered the comedy world like for years. Yeah, and Amy Schumer's in it. Who else is in this? uh, Amy Schumer, Melissa McCarthy. My first scene was with Melissa McCarthy and Hugh Grant and Jerry Seinfeld. Oh my god! (laughs) And I was like, okay, this is um, a crash course. Yeah, Um, seriously. And yeah, so I've had to, um, yeah, just kind of learn on my feet a lot. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Is this is this something that you auditioned for, or uh, did did he ask you to be in it, or? I auditioned for it. I did a self tape. Um, nice. I did a self tape with um, my acting teacher, Joan Wick Rosenfelds. And then I was like, that's not good enough. So I worked on it for like eight more hours <laughs> <laughs> and then um, sent it in and, you know, just thought it was kind of a pipe dream. And then I got the call that I had the offer and I was like, what? And then they were like, you're going to be in LA for six weeks. And I was like, what? And like, it was just, and then also like it's set in 19, you know, 63. So it's got the whole period, uh, dress thing going on. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been so much fun. I feel like I don't want to, I don't even know what I'm supposed to like say about it. Cause I feel like Jerry's been very like, uh, closed-lipped about it because, you know... You don't want to get in trouble with Jerry. Don't want to get in trouble with Jerry. I, yeah, I definitely don't. I, he's very, um, he's very meticulous and he, like, notices everything. Um, I, I sit on set basically just thinking, like, what can I say to Jerry? What can I, how can I make him laugh? Like, what can I do? Like, what (laughs) can, you, you know... Have you made him laugh yet? Well... Yeah, I mean, well, not really. A little bit here and there. The first time I met him, um, I did this awful thing where I started doing some of my stand-up 
like while I was talking <laughs> yeah. to him. I don't know if you've ever found yourself like doing material for somebody <laughs> and then like, wait a second, why am I doing that? Um, and then the other day I was like, you know what? I just, I just want to, I'll just give him a compliment, you know? So I thought of the perfect compliment. This is like the perfect compliment you can give someone. Um, I just thought, okay, so I'll, I'll, you go up to someone and you go, you know what? I heard you're killing it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And I was like, okay, cool. The perfect compliment. So he comes over to me and I was like, hey, Jerry, I heard you're killing it. And I thought he would just be like, thank you. But he goes, who said that? (laughs) (laughs) You had no follow up. And I was like, uh, people. (laughs) And he was like, yeah, that's a really good compliment until you start asking questions. And then it's like all downhill from there. And he just walked away and I was like, damn it. (laughs) Well, that, that's a that's a pretty good segue into your new audio book because it is yeah. all about you know small talk and and making friends and uh, and getting back out into the world after a, a couple of years of uh, not as much social interaction as most of us would have liked. Yeah, and I didn't follow my own advice, which no. is to give like a genuine compliment. <laughs> I was trying to think of the perfect compliment, so like that was a lesson that I had to learn again. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I have to tell you, I really, really enjoyed listening to your book. Oh, um, thank I, you. I kind of was like, I only found out we were doing this a few days ago, and I was like, oh, you know, I'll listen to like the beginning and and get a sense of it. And I I couldn't stop. I really I listened to the whole thing, um, and, uh, and and really really enjoyed it. Um, and so yeah, so it's a it's an audio book that you wrote um, that I know has been sort of in the works for a while. Um, and what the first thing that occurred to me, and this is probably not a, a original thought, but was that you were really known for only using your face uh, in your work for a while. And now this mm-hmm. project is only using your, your, your words and your voice. Um, yeah. So you've really gone in a different direction. Um, <laughs> yeah. No one knows what I sound like. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's really, so can you just, um, I guess first talk about, you know, how this happened and, um, and you know, why you wanted to do it. Yeah. I mean, I got approached by audible to write my take on Dale Carnegie's how to be successful what is it? No, I'd be successful. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I don't even, like all these book names are so similar. Um, how to win friends and influence people, which I had never, I'd heard of it, but I'd never read it and, um, hadn't, didn't plan on reading it. But in, it was like late 2018. I left Google in 2014. So I had been trying to make it make it in entertainment for like four or five years and uh, many years beyond that. I did start up the stand up the first time in 2010. So I've been doing it a while and things weren't going that great. Um, I mean, they were going fine. I had a few books and um, stuff like that, but what I really wanted to do was, you know, acting. I've always wanted to be an actress and that wasn't going that great. And I really didn't have a lot going on. And so my literary agent was like, you know, this could be a good thing for you to do, you know, write this, you know, take on Dale Carnegie. And I was like, okay. So I started reading the book. And if you've never read the book, had you heard of the book? I'd heard of it. I'd never read it, but. Yeah. I, it's, it's basically all these principles that sound really sophomoric. They, they sound really cliche, just like smile and remember people's names. And yeah, the, the remember people's name thing is the, is the one thing that I feel like I remember hearing about because I'm also terrible at remembering people's names and they immediately disappear from my brain the second I meet them. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I try to forget your name because I'm like, you really have to prove your importance to me before I will even lift a finger to remember your name. That's how, <laughs> that's how I was. That's how I operated. Um, you know, don't, you know, don't criticize, condemn or complain, you know, uh, show genuine appreciation, genuine interest, all of these things. And 
I wrote a book called 100 Tricks to Appear Smart in Meetings, and I felt like this was that book. It was basically just, here are these tricks to make people like you, and just do them, and people will like you. And I was like, this is just manipulation, but my book was a joke, and this book is serious, so it's just <laughs> BS. Um, and so I was going to write a book where I was kind of uh, doing a satire of it. You know, and many people have done satires about it. So I was really trying to find like what what angle I was going to use. And then I had this experience that does involve edibles because I did start doing taking. I don't know how doing or taking edibles. Is it doing or <laughs> taking? I just don't know. Eating. Um, I don't know. <laughs> eating. Um, and I. Um, I thought this was an experience unique to me, but I've spoken to a few people since who have had this experience where they realize for the first time that their their mom or their dad isn't going to be around forever. And that's the experience that I had. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I'm i kind of lame, so I get high and I go get a back massage. Like that's the craziness that I get into when I get <laughs> high. I go get a back massage. I'm thinking about my mom and I'm just like, oh my God, like I just don't know how much you know longer she's going to be around and I don't know what's going to happen because um, she's everything to me. My mom is like everything to me. Um, and so I called her and I was like, mom, like what's going to happen when you're gone? Like, what's going to happen to me and my sisters and my brother? Like, who am I going to talk to? Like, what's going to happen? And she's like, what are you talking about when? And I'm like, after you die, we'll all still be here without you. And she was like, oh, honey pie, you have no idea what the future holds. Who knows? Maybe we'll all die at the same time. And I was like, (laughs) mom, that's a horrible thought. Um, (laughs) But it did make me laugh. Um, But it also uh, made me realize that I just felt very, I felt alone and I didn't know what was, I didn't know who I was going to talk to after she was gone. And I wanted to answer that question, like who's going to be there for me when I don't have her anymore. And I, then I just started hearing Dale's voice in my head. You know, I started hearing like, why don't you try actually doing some of these things? Why don't you try actually smiling? Why don't you try actually introducing yourself to the security guard at your WeWork building? Why don't you try introducing yourself to the person who sits next to you every day in this WeWork office? And I started doing that. And I think Audible, I think that was their initial idea was that Sarah actually do this stuff. But I was like, no, at first, but then I needed <laughs> no, I'm just going to make fun of it actually. No. Yeah. Actually yeah. my MO is just to be like really ironic. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, it became, instead of this ironic thing, it became this, um, perhaps too earnest, but I try not to make it too earnest, but it, this really life-changing experience for me that I ended up writing over 2019, 2020, and 2021, which were three of the craziest years of my life and the lives of so many people in the world. Um, and what a gift to be able to write it over those three years um, and to have a memoir of what I was experiencing in those three years. And it really did help me uh, meet the circle of friends that I have now. Yeah, well, it must be also strange thinking about now the people, your your new coworkers are including Jerry yeah. Seinfeld and Amy Schumer and Melissa McCarthy and, you know, on your Netflix yeah. special, uh, Maya Rudolph and yeah. Fred Armisen and all these people. Yeah. Are you going into those things? Well, I never know really whether you go into those projects thinking I'm going to be friends with these people or or not. But is that part of it, too, where you're like, am I in this world or am I not? Like, because it was very sudden that you so were in sudden. that world. Yeah, it was really sudden. And that's the other thing that was um, really kind of serendipitous about this book coming into my life when it did, because yeah, I started to meet people and get into the world that I've always wanted to be in. And I feel like without realizing, like, 
you know, on my Netflix special, um, I wanted to thank the crew somehow and I didn't know how, but I never would even had the thought, how do I thank the crew without this book? And then I asked, um, uh, I asked somebody on the crew, I was like, is, is there something I can do? And they were like, yeah, sometimes people get, you know, an ice cream truck. And I'm like, oh, I'll get an ice cream truck for the crew. And I did that, but I wouldn't even have had the thought to do that without this book, you know? And so there's that, but then there's also like, yeah, the relationships that you're starting to build with, people that you've admired for a long time. And my God, yes, I would, I would love, I would love to be friends with so many of these people. And I've actually had started to become friends with Amy a little bit. And, um, I don't know if I'll ever be friends with Jerry, but you know, here's hoping, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I, don't know. I don't know how many, if he lets that many friends in, it's hard to I tell. know. Well, in my head, he's my best friend. So, um, yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah. And, and realizing that if you go into it, like what, what can I get from this person? You're not, that's not the best way to make a friend like you, your, your genuine interest in them and their lives is, is what's going to, um, make you find a friend. But the, the other thing you have to remember, or I had to remember too, is that like, I'm a unique person with unique interests and, being a people pleasy person where you're like, oh, I'm interested in whatever you're interested in. That's not going to make you a genuine friend either. You know, you have to be like, this is what I'm excited about. And just hope that, you know, there are people around you that are interested in those things too. And you can connect on, on that, you know, and, and that's something that you have to sort of let happen. You can't really force it. Yeah. Well, my favorite example of that in the book is the uh, chapter that starts with you talking about pretending to like fish the band, yes. uh, because it's something that my wife um, can relate to very much uh, because Wait, she also like pretends. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. Were you offended by that? No, I'm I'm used to it because uh yeah, my my wife full on pretended to like fish for the first uh, I think year or two of our relationship. Oh wow. And then like only years later admitted to me that she like actively disliked it. Oh, I wow. thought she kind of like tolerated it but like kind of liked it. Mm -hmm. No. Oh wow. How did how did you take that? It was tough. It was hard. It was tough. But, you know, yeah. I just had to accept that it was my thing and uh and not her thing, you know. Yeah, I'm really <laughs> proud of her for admitting that. She yeah. could have taken that to her grave. <laughs> yeah, she could have. She could have. I think she waited a, a very long time, so. Well, I mean, yeah, one or two years. I I actually I haven't no, told that was, that, that person. was like she that was her really pretending to like it. It was like years and more after that that she admitted she didn't like it. But yeah. Oh, okay. All yeah. right. So I So there's see. kind of a middle ground, but yeah, you but you had the same experience where you had to pretend to like fish. So she sort of ramped you into her hate for fish. Yeah. It yeah. was like it was like at the beginning she really liked it and then like, you know, then it was kind of indifference and then eventually it was like, "Oh no, you never liked it." Yeah, but you know what she liked? You. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I still haven't told this guy about me hating fish, but maybe he'll read the book or listen to the yeah. book. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was very funny, though. Um, and then you, I think right after that, you briefly mentioned something about um, pretending to like Joel Osteen, but you didn't really get into it. So I wanted to hear more about that. Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> who, who among us hasn't pretended to love Joel Osteen yeah, right? for a man? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I never thought I would find myself at jo Joel Osteen's church. Um, but I, when I was 30, I met this guy in acting class and he loved Joel Osteen and he said he loved me as well. And I thought that I loved him and he wanted to go see Joel Osteen for his birthday. And so I said, I was going to do that. I was going to take him to see his favorite pastor. <laughs> and so we went and we were in the front row and, um, yeah, I, I just, I just remember, like, I, I don't know. I just remember being this, this guy, 
this guy that I was with kind of looked like Lenny Kravitz. And so there were all these people in the church just coming up to him, like asking him if he was Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> that, that's all I remember from That's a random memory, but that's what yeah. happened. <laughs> it sounds like Joel Osteen fans would say that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but I feel like it does, this, this book, I mean, as you said, it did kind of force you to reflect on all this crazy stuff that was happening to you. And, you know, I think when you were on the podcast last time, we talked about how weird it was to become famous. And then you debated, you told me you didn't actually think you were famous. And I said that yeah. you were, um, uh. but during, during the pandemic, when you can't really go out and you're not getting recognized in that same way. So I was curious if that has, as things have, you know, started to change and open up, has that evolved at all for you? Like, do you, are you starting to feel any of the either perks or drawbacks of celebrity or fame yet? Um, <laughs> I, I just often have the experience, like I was sitting, um, in a restaurant next to a window. It was, this was in Brooklyn and, uh, this woman came up and she had her, uh, iPhone up and she was taking a picture. It looked like she was taking a picture of me. And I was like, and I was like, this, it's happening. And then she came over to me and she was just like, do you mind moving a little bit? I'm trying to take a picture of the bridge. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that stuff happens to me all the time where I think it's that thing and it's not. And so, and then there's other times where people are like, oh my God, you know, my dad loves you and stuff like that. Um, oh, yeah. You and somebody came up to me in the hotel sitting here like, um, she was like, my daughter came over. My daughter came, said to me, don't go over there. Don't go. But I had to come over here. And I was like, oh, oh that's so sweet. Um, and then I ended up meeting her whole family. And it's it's still very surreal for that to happen. And it's, I don't know. It's one of those things where you, you're just like, I don't know. I think it turns on my people pleasiness like a little bit too much because I'm just yeah. like, please go back and tell people how amazing I am, you know? Yeah. You want to be, you want to be a good story and not a, a horror story. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it's still a little awkward for me. Yeah. Um, you know, we mentioned your Netflix special a little bit, which you write about in the book as well. Um, and you kind of admit that you had no idea what you were doing when you were no idea. making it. Um, and it did occur to me that it was kind of, I don't know if, um, you know, rushed into production is the right word, but it was, I think, to kind of capitalize on your moment that you were having, it it happened very fast. Um, so how do you think about that now? And and would you do anything differently if you got the chance to do it over again? Or, or yeah, how do you um, think about the whole experience? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there, are, there are a lot of things that I, I mostly for me, I, um, I think I was trying to do too many things and I didn't let, uh, I was kind of a control freak and I didn't let people who knew better than me just kind of like, you know, um, kind of, you know, walk me through things and like help me, you know, make those decisions. But I just didn't know what I didn't know. And then I think on the other side of that at the same time, um, I think I wish I had trusted myself more in a lot of ways in terms of the, you know, the things I, I wanted to do and then, you know, didn't get to do or things that, you know, um, got changed or, uh, taken out, you know, but I think that what ended up coming out of it was just what should have come out of it. You know, like I, I, I wouldn't change anything about it because it was such an amazing experience. I mean, it was before we had a vaccine. Um, and we were, it was the first, job after COVID because COVID wasn't even over yet. Um, it was six months after like the first time we had to go into lockdown. And so it was also new for everybody. And I think that, 
um, the fact that it got made at all is a miracle. You know, it's, it's, it's a miracle. So I don't know if I, I would change. I don't know. I, I wouldn't change anything about it. I think I wish I was a more experienced person at the time it was made. That's the only, I wish I had been, I wish I had 10 years of experience in the entertainment world and being on sets before I became number one on the call sheet on my own special. I wish I had just had more experience. That's yeah. That's the only thing I would change. But at the same time, it's like not something that you could have said no to really. It's like, who gets that opportunity? Yeah, I I could not have said no to it. Definitely, like, and I'm very. I, there's no way. Oh my God, you you startled me. <laughs> I'm here to do the Sarah Cooper show, and we are so excited to have you. These might be the cutest cupcakes I've ever seen. They are my pride and joy, and now I'd appreciate it if you got Sarah for me. Thank you. I'm Sarah Cooper. I didn't say Sierra, honey. I said Sarah. That is Sarah Cooper. I'm Sarah Cooper, the host of the show. You're Sarah Cooper? Yep. Can I see some ID? Here is my license, passport, and my birth certificate. No, I need to see some kind of a permit that shows me that you're allowed to be on the premises. Okay, KJ. I think when we last talked to you, you were uh, working or starting to work on the CBS pilot, which I know didn't Mm -hmm. ultimately go. um, Yeah. But I would love to hear a little bit more about that process um, of of making it um, and the, you know, because I think anytime you make a pilot, you don't know what's going to happen with it. But what was, did, what did you get out of the the experience of, of going through that? Nothing. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so if that's the answer, um, that's, that's I okay. got nothing. No, I got, um, so it was a pilot based on how to be successful without hurting men's feelings. And it was, um, I was writing with Cindy Shupak, who worked on, uh, who's a huge writer and producer on Sex and the City, which is one of my favorite shows ever. Just watched another episode of that recently. Get high and watch that show, man. It's, yeah. it's a beautiful <laughs> show. Um, and uh, it was, I never, it, you know, it pisses me off. The thing that pisses me off about Seinfeld is that Pilot was the first script he ever wrote. And yeah. I feel like that's such bullshit because um, <laughs> this was kind of the first script that I wrote. And I wrote it with Cindy. And there is nothing like time. Time is like the best editor. It's the best editor. Um, and I think when you write something and you have to like hand it in and there's with CBS, there's so many like approvals. There's like, there's me and Cindy have to agree, then the production company has to agree, then CBS Studios has to agree, then CBS Proper has to agree. And it's like, there was so much of that, which I think just triggered my corporate sensibilities a little bit too much. And I don't know, it was, again, it was kind of a whirlwind and I didn't really know what I was doing and things that sounded good on the page. I I don't know if they really translated as well when they were spoken and I think that kind of muscle is something that I have to work on. Um, and so getting to see it, getting to see it on its feet, like there is um, the whole pilot was based sort of in this world that was based a lot of my experience in Google. And at Google, there was a fire pole um, that went from one floor to another. Um, this is in Chelsea. And they had to shut it down eventually because people were getting hurt, obviously. <laughs> um and so we wrote that in the script, you know, we have a fire pole. And so that was the first time I like wrote something in a script and I get to set and it's there, yeah. you know, and you just feel like God, cause you just write it in final cut mm-hmm. and then final draft. Someone and has then to like, make it. Yeah. And someone has to make it. And there's, and then there's stunt people that you need to hire. And then you realize how like every little thing you write 
is you better be sure about it because they're going to go and it's going to, it's going to be a lot of work and it's going to be a lot of detail. And because these are like the people that I've worked with so far care so much about getting it right. And so you just want to make sure that you truly, truly believe in what, what you've created because you, you need a hundred people to, uh, to, spend their time and their effort and their energy to make that come to life. And so I feel like, again, like with more time, I think it could have been, um, I think it could have maybe gotten a little bit further. Um, but again, I, now that I've been on this, uh, that side of it, I'm amazed that anything gets made. I'm amazed any show, even if it's bad, I'm like, wow, congratulations. Because yeah, you did it. <laughs> it's, it's impossible to make a good show. It's impossible to make a bad show. Everything. It's just impossible. It's a lot of work. And even before the work is the convincing the people that this idea is worth making. Um, and so I just, I, yeah, again, just a huge learning experience. Does it make you want to take that on again? Or does, are you more Absolutely. interested in doing things like, like acting? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, I want my own show so badly. Um, that's I, I've always wanted that, and being on this set especially has. I've never. I usually when I get onto a set and I have a trailer, I'm I, I'm in the trailer for like a day, and then I leave. Um, I've been in this trailer now for you know a month, and I'm just like, oh my god, this is just set life. You know, I get here, you know, I talk to. You have a routine. Um, yeah, I have a routine and uh Yanni the PA on my special is the spe- is the PA on this project too. So I get there and she, you know, we reconnect and it's it's just it's so you nothing makes me feel more special than just like being on set and being able to play with just amazing people. So I yes, I very much would like to continue doing this in any capacity that I can. Yeah, what's the show that you would make next if you could make any show? Um I am, I want to, I just want to work on a show where I get to talk about sex and drugs and (laughs) (laughs) rock and roll, of course. So maybe CBS um, wasn't the right place for you? Maybe. um, But, you know, things like Abbott Elementary, like, are so impressive to me. I mean, to be able to make something so funny with, I I kind of have a little inkling of what she had to go through to get Mm -hmm. that made, Mm -hmm. but not just to get it made, to get the lines in, to get the actors in that she wanted, you know, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. I'm so impressed with Quinta Brunson um, because of that. Uh, And so, yeah, I would love to make a show that where I do get to make fun of tech and, um, you know, I mean, I can give, I, I'm working on it right now, but I still have yeah. this thing in my head. Like, I don't actually want to share it yet because it's not finished. Yeah. So, yeah, but yeah, yeah I that's, understand. that's what I'm working on. Coming up, Sarah reveals that she has recently been playing around with lip syncing another right-wing politician. There's just something about it that wasn't the same. Stick around more in a minute. Do you know when Crystal Pepsi was discontinued, what was in Al Capone's vault, or which famous meteorologist is Lenny Kravitz's second cousin? If not, then you haven't spent enough time on Wikipedia. But that's okay, because you can learn it all on the new podcast, WikiHole, from Smartless Media. Discover the craziest rabbit holes on Wikipedia with host and friend of the last laugh, Darcy Carden, and her favorite comedian friends, as they bring the cyber frontier directly to your tympanic membrane 
And if you listen to WikiHole, you will learn that's the sciencey term for eardrum. WikiHole is a hyperlink roller coaster, starting out on one Wikipedia page and then going from link to link to link to link, careening through trivia, oddities, and unexpected connections until everyone wonders, how the hell did we get here? Follow WikiHole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to WikiHole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to my previous conversation with Sarah Cooper, as well as episodes with her unfrosted co-star Jim Gaffigan and fellow social media phenomenon Blair Erskine, along with everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Sarah Cooper. You know, it's funny, you were so associated with politics and Trump for so long, and that was sort of the first way that all these people met you. It doesn't seem like that's something that's super interesting to you these days, is it? That's such a good question. Um... Yeah, I was obsessed with politics. I mean, from, I want to say, most of my life. Most of my life. I mean, Roe v. Wade is something that I was scared of getting overturned since I was 20. So this is a long thing that's that's been going on. And after Biden was elected and there was this, like, huge sigh of relief, um, I guess I, I kind of started to, because I was able to write scripts, these things that I've always wanted to write, I think I kind of checked out a little bit and I kind of was happy to check out a little bit because it was really overwhelming. Um, I mean, Trump like exhausted me. Like, and, it you, was and you were really in it. I mean, you were really paying attention probably more than even most people because you were making yeah. those videos and you kind of had to keep on top of it in some way, right? Yeah, exactly. And I had people writing like, do this one, do this one, do this yeah. one, you yeah. know? So you probably watched like, you know, a hundred times more Trump clips than you actually made. Yeah. And I listened to him over and over and over and over yeah. again uh, when I made yeah. those videos. And I so know. I was, I, I don't was know fatigued. how you survived. <laughs> yeah. I don't know either. I really don't. Um, but yeah, I think I was just fatigued by it. And I think I've, I've woken up a little bit and I'm like, oh, I just read an article about how Texas Republicans just met and they're now making fun of Dan Crenshaw the same way that Pete Davidson made fun of Dan Crenshaw like years ago. And they everyone was like, you know, fuck you, Pete, for, for doing that. Yeah, even Tucker Carlson did that recently. He was making fun of his eye patch on, on his show and he was one of the people going after Pete Davidson. So now I'm like, oh, wow, they really do just make their own reality. I mean, exactly. in a weird way, they are just like, this is this is the world we live in and we're going to manifest whatever we want and we're just going to and it's uh it's scary um and it's yeah it might i i you know i'm kind of starting to listen a little bit more again because i feel like it's starting to be it's starting to be important again i i don't know how much power um i don't it's not the power i don't know how many people I, in my head it's a small segment of society that's lost sort of their way. And I'm hoping it's a small segment of society. I don't know how big that segment of society is. I don't know how much they're going to turn out this year um, for the midterms. I don't know. Um, I'm hoping it's a small segment of society. I know that 
the Republican thought process is only a fraction, a small fraction of Americans actually agree with it. And so it feels like we are being controlled by minority. That's what it feels like. Um, and so I'm, yeah, I, I'm hoping I'm, I've taken a little mental break and I'm hoping to uh, get back into it because it's obviously very important. Does that include creatively in terms of the stuff you would put out um, online? I know when we talked last time, you you basically were like, didn't think you were ever going to do Trump videos again, but you said, but you knew there was going to be a time when you saw him say something and you'd be tempted to do it or you'd be, or people were asking you to do it. Um, so whether it's Trump or or other kinds of content that is political, do you think about that? I, I do. I mean, the other day, um, I, I I didn't know what was going on with Herschel Walker. Oh yeah, that was a Daily Beast exclusive, by the way. Was it? Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, not me. But... <laughs> you know, Matt. I'll tell you. I just for myself, I started lip syncing him a little bit. Oh, that's interesting. And it it wasn't. I felt like I was literally <laughs> making fun of someone who uh, mentally is not all there. Yeah. You know what I mean? With Trump, it was like, oh, this <laughs> guy's in power. As opposed, as opposed I, to Trump. I know, right. But yeah, and, and with Trump, he just keeps repeating himself. So I just feel like I've, I, he, he's not going to say anything new. So there's nothing new to do there. So no, I don't think I'll ever lip sync a politician again. And lip syncing is fun. So I'll probably do it in some capacity in the future, but I just... It's a, very, it's a skill that you have that you're very good at. So mm-hmm. you've, de- you've developed that skill. Yeah. And I think it's a lot of fun, but I don't, I, I will never lip sync Trump again. Yeah. And even, and trying, and it's interesting, trying someone else didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. It, it felt like that was a moment in 2020. And mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. It's really cool, like getting to meet Melissa McCarthy and having her go, oh, my God, those videos are Hugh Grant, like said the same thing. I mean, just having these amazing people say like, oh, my gosh, those videos. And so I know that I am starting to see like the impact that they had Mm, on people and how they so many people, what they say to me over and over again is you saved me in the pandemic, like Mm -hmm. you made the pandemic bearable or you helped me get through the pandemic like. And I'm proud of that. I'm proud that it it helps people so much. And I think the next thing that that's going to happen, that's going to be that thing. I don't know. It's going to come from me, but it's going to be something different than that. Yeah. Well, you also probably inspired a lot of other people to do their own things and their own you know yeah. versions of this type of thing. Yeah. There's so many talented people. I mean, I think that's the one thing that came out of the pandemic, too, is that people started experimenting with um social media and TikTok and all that stuff. And, um, and a lot of, yeah, a lot of people found a lot of success that way. So although (laughs) I'm such a, I'm so competitive, like I was doing, um, headshots the other day and the photographer was like, um, yeah, there's a girl who, who did TikTok too. And she's had a lot of success. And (laughs) I was like, yeah, how much success has she had? You know, I'm like, (laughs) I'm immediately like, yeah, oh yeah, really? Um, (laughs) But yeah, so that's been fun to see. Yeah, well, I mean, you do still have a pretty huge platform on on social media that you could use in any way that you that you wanted to. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with Twitter with this whole like Elon Musk thing. Um, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you look like you forgot about that. And I just reminded you of it. Yeah, Yeah. I know. Am I going to have to get off of Twitter? Uh, No, probably not, but... Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very anxiety inducing. Like I just posted the other night, um, you know, 
I like the way you jiggle, jiggle, you know, like I love that little tune. Um, and so I posted this little dance and that was fun, but it was also like nerve wracking because it was like, well, this isn't important. I'm not saying anything. I'm not taking down a huge, you know, person that needs to be taken down. It's just, <laughs> it's completely meaningless. Um, and I, I feel like that we need some joy with all of the, the seriousness of everything that's going on. It feels like something awful happens hourly, you know? Um, yeah, we just need to feel some joy sometimes. So sometimes, you know, just posting something random. It's just, for me, it's hard. Cause I'm like, Oh God, you know, like, I don't want to disappoint people. I don't want them to hate me. Um, and so it's been, you know, to go from 60,000 followers to like 2.3 million, all of a sudden I'm like, well, I can waste the time of 60,000 people. I don't know if I can waste the time of 2.3 million people. So I want to be like careful of what I post. Um, but I, I'm, I'm working on that because I also think like, who cares? Like it's yeah, social I mean, media. Like just so many people cares? out there. It's like, yeah. 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 There's so much I take content. Myself if they way too seriously, sometimes <laughs> they'll, they'll just skip past it if they don't want to see it. Right. Right. Um, so I think I want to do our segment called The First Laugh now because we, we weren't doing this when you were on before. So I think we can really dive into some of these questions. Um, this is a segment about firsts in your life and career um, in comedy. So going all the way back, uh, do you remember the first piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard growing up as a kid or one of the first? Um, the first piece of comedy that made me laugh really hard, I would say, and of course this is going to date me, but Jack Tripper on Three's Company <laughs> was the first, I mean, I think that was the first thing that I just, I couldn't stop watching. I wanted to watch like every single episode um, of that show. And so I think, you know, being an immigrant, I, I do get this question sometimes. And I think, you know, I, I didn't, there wasn't, Com I didn't have comedy albums. There wasn't like, my parents weren't like buying me a bunch of, you know, um, VHS tapes of, of anything. It was me sort of like, coming across things here and there. And, you know, my sisters and I would watch TV late at night and the things we came across were Three's Company and the Benny Hill Show. <laughs> so, um, you know, those, and then we would make each other laugh. Like my Some sister similarities would, there, but <laughs> yeah. between Three's Company and the Benny Hill Show. Is there? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> farce? Yeah, farce. Physical comedy? Farce and physical comedy, which I feel like is going to make a huge comeback. Because um, people people either have lost the ability to think or they don't want to think anymore. And something that just makes you like do a spit take, like that just makes you like gutturally like laugh. They just I think that that kind of humor has always appealed to me. And when I watch Seinfeld now and I look at how fast the lines are and how quickly it goes and how many jokes there are, I'm like, my God, like and this is why when you watch it, even if you've seen it five times, you still laugh. I know. Even yeah. if you know what's coming, you still laugh. And I think that creating something like that is like the dream. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, do you remember the first time that you knew you were funny, that you had the ability to make other people laugh? Yes. Uh, I was in, um, I was in, I, I want to say second grade. And we were playing this game where there was a secret word that the teacher would tell you the word. And then you had to do a monologue where you said the word three times but you had to hide the word so that no one could guess the word. Um, and I, I did a like laundry detergent commercial. I mean, this is not funny at all. I wish I could tell something <laughs> that was so funny, but um, I was just, I just told a story and I, everyone laughed and they were able to guess the word. So I wasn't good at that part, but <laughs> I realized I just, you know, I like making up stories and telling stories and, 
And I really like saying things like I like telling stories while not telling stories. I think that's what I'm really (laughs) good at because that's That's exactly what I just did. (laughs) (laughs) I like telling stories about telling stories without telling a story. I like telling people I'm a good storyteller without actually telling any stories, you know? (laughs) Um, Well, one story that we get in the book is the first time you performed stand-up on stage. um, And there's even a clip of it, which was really fun to hear. Um, (laughs) So what do you remember about the the very first time performing stand-up comedy? Um, I was very drunk. Um, I I don't know why I... (laughs) I had a crush on the host. I I didn't put that in the book, but I thought he was very cute. And so I remember going up and he gave me a handshake. And that was the first thing I said was, Ooh, I got a handshake. And it was so stupid, but, um, I said it. And I think that first time when you just have no idea what you're doing is so special because you just have no idea what you're doing. And so it came to my mind and I said it and I was drunk. And so I just said it. And so there was an, a level of, um, of spontaneity and just reacting to what was going on that I felt like, yeah, that I felt like I lost and had to relearn over time, you know, that I had sort of in that first time. And my first, you know, my first five minutes was not that great, but I feel like I remember feeling that like I was having this conversation with the audience, which was really fun. Uh, all right, so we're going to bring our next comedian. Uh, this girl is uh, very, very funny. Show us a little. Put your hand together for Sarah Cooper! Yeah. All the way in the back. Yeah. And make some for Sarah Cooper! Come on! Handshake. Nice. I have to pee really badly. (laughs) For some reason, I get really horny when I have to pee. It's like my wires are crossed. What's going on with that? Anybody um, single here? (laughs) What? What was that? Yeah, most men say that. (laughs) Nothing new. Um, yeah, I'm single. I actually like being single, actually, because it makes it easier for me to cry myself to sleep. <laughs> yeah. no, I, I try crying myself to sleep with other people there. Very distracting. <laughs> what about the first joke or bit that you wrote that really worked that you could keep going back to that you, that you felt good about? Yeah, um, a year ago, I was single. And today, I am no longer single. I am now desperate. <laughs> That's my joke. I, that was the first joke I ever wrote. And um, desperate. I called myself desperate. Yeah. How do you how do you how do you feel about that now? Um, it's so it's so obvious, Sarah. It's so cliche. It's so like I was a single girl talking about dating and, um, that's what girls do. That's what, that's what I did. That's what we all do when we first start out. And, um, it wasn't, I don't know. It wasn't that, um, looking back, I'm like, I judge it very harshly. I'm like, Oh God, not original. Like not, it was totally fine, but nothing special, but I don't know. You know, there's some, there's just honesty there. There's just a truth to it. I just, I felt really desperate. I felt like I was 32 years old. I had missed the boat on men. They were all gone. They were all taken. And now I I was just, I just wanted anybody. And ladies, if you're listening, please don't ever be like that. Please don't. It's not worth it. There actually, there's so many men out there. It's, there's a lot, there's so many fish in the sea. 
and most of them you have to avoid. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I often ask comedians about their late night stand-up debuts. You have a very unique situation where you guest hosted Jimmy Kimmel Live and did a monologue before ever doing a your own you know five minute set on a late night show. So what was that like to? be thrown into that talk about another another thing that was probably very surreal and unexpected oh my god I recently um got high I don't have a problem but I do (laughs) get high every once in a while I got high and I tried to watch it and I was so bored (laughs) I was so bored I was like oh my god I'm so stiff I'm so nervous it was one of those things where um I had to do the lip syncing at the end of the monologue and so it was really important to like get through the monologue to make sure to have time for the lip syncing and so I didn't I only got to do it I want to say like twice. Like I didn't really get to do it very many times. And I was kind of just trying to be perfect. I was just trying to like, okay, say everything right. And there was a teleprompter, which as a standup, it's like, you don't want to teleprompter. You don't no. want to read your, your, your jokes. You just don't. It's, it's yeah, very, it's a very, it's a very specific skill. Yeah. And I think David Spade did, he guest hosted, I think a few nights later, or a week later, and he was joking with the sound guy. And he was joking with the camera guy. Those are the only people in the room. And he was joking with them. And I was like, oh, why didn't I just talk to them and like joke with, why didn't I do that? Yeah, because it just, you didn't even have an audience. I didn't have an audience, but I kind of did. I had like two people, you know, and when you're, you know, when you're doing open mics, that's usually what you have anyway. So I should have been totally prepared for that. But I was really, I was, I was just like, I was super nervous, but everybody was just so supportive and so nice to me and so kind. And I remember, um, I remember the next day, just like hoping, hoping my video would get as many views as Dua Lipa who went the night before me. (laughs) (laughs) That's a high bar. a really high bar and I did not make it, but you know what I mean? Like I, and the next morning I remember I had a writer's room for my special and I was crying because I just thought I did a horrible job. And, um, for some reason, Henry Winkler wrote to me on Twitter and was like giving me notes on my monologue and that was making (laughs) me feel worse. Like it was just like so many things. Um, you know, I, he, at the time I was like, I don't know what this guy's talking about, but I think he was just talking about connecting with the audience. And that's the thing that is really hard to do when you're so worried about being perfect. You cannot make connect with anybody when you're just so like, I have to say everything right. And so that's basically all, well, all he said. And it's stuck in my head because it's good advice. So thank you, Henry. <laughs> I still love that you got that Louis CK joke in there. I, me too. Me too. I'm pretty proud of that one. I met my husband at work. He kept asking me out and I kept saying no. But then he said he had tickets to see Louis C.K., who was my favorite comedian at the time. And I couldn't say no to that. No one can say no to Louis C.K. That's kind of his whole brand. Do you have a uh, audition story that stands out in your memory, a best or, or worst audition yes. uh, that, that comes to mind? Yes. I, I was meeting with a, um, a very well-known actor, producer, who I won't name. Mm-hmm. You sure? Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I won't name, but um, it was just supposed to be a meeting, you know, one of these general meetings, which I talk about in the book a lot too. Um, mm-hmm. A general meeting for this role. And I was thinking to myself, oh God, I hope this doesn't turn into an audition. And that is what happened is he was like, 
well, I'm going to email you some stuff right now. We're just going to, let's just play. Let's just go. Let's just do through it. I go through it. And I have no experience. I had no experience at that time, just playing with a very famous actor who I've seen in movies. And now I'm just supposed to like play with him. And so I did the best I could by the end of like 45 minutes, I was sweat was like dripping down my neck. I was just like, Oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. And at the end of it, he goes, um, he goes, great. Okay. This is good. This is good. I'm really excited to work with you on this. And I was like, Oh my God, I, I got it. I got, you know, and he was like, no, I just meant it was exciting to work with you for this past, you know, hour, you know, we're still working on, you know, who casting all this stuff. Never heard from him again. Oh no. But that was mortifying to be like, ah! you know, I got and be like, it. I got yeah, the no, yeah, no, you didn't. <laughs> um, you've obviously met uh, so many of your, uh, you know, so many famous comedians and people in comedy. Um, do you have a story about meeting a particular comedy hero that that stands out um, in your memory from these past couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I actually met Jerry Seinfeld um, <laughs> at this uh, at the Netflix is a joke. Uh, comedy festival in LA, like a few months ago, I want to say, I, I'd, I'd, I just found out that I got the part, but I hadn't met him yet. And I show up to this, um, luncheon and I didn't think really anybody was going to be at this luncheon, but then it turned out like everybody was at this luncheon. Um, and sounds like an intimidating room to be in. It, yeah. I mean, it was outside, but it was very intimidating. It was an intimidating garden. Um, yes. and, I'm standing there talking to Tignataro, who's, I mean, just so yeah, amazing. I'd, ne- I'd never met her in person. She's so funny. Um, and then um, Fortune Femster as well. And I see Jerry sitting uh, like across from me, like his back is to me. And I'm like, because in my head, I thought, I'm going to have to talk to him. He's going to talk to me. He's going to realize he made a big mistake <laughs> giving me this part. He's, I'm, I'm going to be cut from the movie. <laughs> You know, like that was what went through my head. And before I could even like contemplate that, he came over to me and he shook my hand and he was like, thank you so much for doing the movie. I'm like, thank me. Thank you. (laughs) You know, like this is an amazing opportunity. I, again, I started doing my, like, I started doing some bit like that I do. And I was just, I was so nervous, but I was just trying to hide it. You know, when you're like nervous, but you're just trying to be cool. You're just like, yeah, Yeah. whatever, you know, (laughs) Jerry Seinfeld, who cares? Um, And, you know, he, the thing about Jerry that I really love and it's, um, it's not true of a lot of comedians is he is a very generous laugher. Actually, most comedians just go, Oh yeah, that's funny. You know, they don't actually laugh, but he laughs. And even if it's not a real laugh, he'll just laugh just to like make you just to make you know that he heard you and he knows you're making a joke or whatever. And it's, it's a very kind thing to do, but I knew that that's kind of what he was doing. He's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, laugh. And then he like was like, okay, great meeting you. And he walked away. And I was like, I felt <laughs> immediately like a failure. I was like, damn it. I didn't make him laugh. I didn't make him laugh. And then I see him talking to Tig and he's bowled over dying, yeah, like, uh... like holding his sides. Like, and I'm like, oh God, <laughs> damn it. I missed it. So like, yeah, that was, but yeah, now hard, that I've, <laughs> yeah. Hard to compete with Tig. No, I, you cannot compete with Tig. No, I didn't even, I didn't even realize I was in competition <laughs> but yeah but uh so i don't know it's um it's uh yeah i have nothing more to add but that's what happened yeah yeah um do you have a story or memory from your career that makes you laugh now but was not funny at all when it happened um yeah when i when i ended up marrying that joel osteen guy 
<laughs> when I ended up eloping with that guy, um, and then realizing within a month that I had made a huge mistake, that was, I was, I didn't want anyone talking about it. I didn't want it mentioned at dinner. I didn't want anyone to ever remind me that I had done that. And now it's hysterical. Now it's just the funniest <laughs> thing um, ever. That that it's, it's just so random. When I tell people that I eloped with a guy I knew for a month that I met in an acting class <laughs> that was in love with Joel Osteen, they're like, who are you? And I'm yeah. like, I don't know. I don't know who I am. So that's one thing that was pretty mortifying at the time, but now I can laugh at. <laughs> that's good. That's always good to be able to laugh at something like that years later. Yeah. Uh, finally, I like to give comedians a chance to shout out other comedians, other comedy that's making them laugh. So what's the last piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard that you want to shout out? Oh, Matt. <laughs> I know. So it always puts people on the spot with this one. It really does. <laughs> it can be an episode of Seinfeld if, if you need it to be. <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, I mean, yeah. Can I just mention a few things? <laughs> Is yeah, that okay? Mention as many things as you want. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, you know, there's, you know, dog videos where it's like a dog and then it's the dog wet, you know, yeah. and then it, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. hysterical. <laughs> um, I think the, I saw you post one of those. Yeah. Um, the episode of Seinfeld called the puffy shirt is what I just watched. Um, and the low talker, she's so underrated in that episode because <laughs> she does such a good job of making it look like she and saying something, but she's not saying anything. And yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the thing about Seinfeld, I mean, I, I feel like I sound like a Seinfeld, like a crazy person, but I am, <laughs> is that those episodes are, you've taken improv, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's just games. They're just playing games mm -hmm. and they, they play the game and they keep playing the game. And that's why it's so funny. They never worry really about the plot. They only care about the joke and the joke just gets, you know, made in different ways over and over again. The same thing with like when there was uh, the masseuse he was dating and he couldn't get a massage. It was just heightening of the things that he was doing to try to get that massage. And that's how the scenes worked. And I just think it's so brilliant the way it was done. And I don't know why they don't make shows like that anymore it feels like they don't make them like that anymore it's up to you so, now it is it is up to me it's all on my shoulders um so yeah and uh i feel like i should probably mention uh yeah no that's it i i'll just i'll i'll leave it there i'll leave it there yeah that's, those are two great things dogs being wet and seinfeld, <laughs> seinfeld yeah <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming back on the show. And um, it's always just great to see what you're up to. And I'm so excited for this uh, movie now, oh, God, especially with yeah. you in it. Oh, thank you so much, Matt. It's always fun talking to you. And I love your jean jacket. Oh, thanks. I miss, I'm so glad that jean jackets just never go out of style. Oh, yeah. yeah. How could they? I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, well, thank you so much. Thanks, Matt. Well, that was really so much fun having Sarah on this podcast for the second time. If you missed her first episode, I definitely recommend you check that out as well for a way more in-depth look at the Trump videos that made her famous. Sarah's new audiobook, Let's Catch Up Soon, How I Won Friends and Influenced People Against My Will, is available now on Audible, and we will put a link to listen to it in the description for this episode as well. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. 
We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at thedailybeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.